to preach to you as God shall help me this morning on the last days. There are eight times in the Bible I find that two-word phrase, last days, and I want to use the Bible to try to find out where and when the last days are. When we come to a King James Bible, I believe the King James Bible to be a supernatural document. I find no poorly or mistranslated words in it. I'm using a Schofield Bible. I appreciate Dr. Schofield. I think it's the Schofield Bible is probably the best reference Bible for public dissemination. And I've used it so long, I'll just use it the rest of my life. I, I, I know where the verses are on the page. Uh, I may not be able to give you a reference, but I can find it in a, a Schofield Bible. But I, I became weary 20 years ago with Dr. Schofield saying a better translation would be a better rendering would be in so many uh, uh, reference Bibles follow that line. Uh, I believe the King James Bible to be without error, including the translation of Acts 2.38, which so many fundamentalists change. The for the remission of sins, they change that to because of. It should be translated precisely as it is. If the scripture is seen in the light of its context, which is what I'm going to deal with today, then Acts 2.38 or Luke 1.3 or Luke 3.3 3 or Mark chapter number 1, which is the three places in the King James Bible where it says repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. I'm not preaching on that today. But that's found three times in the King James Bible. And if you see the light of the context, those three places are not a dilemma at all. I promise you there's not a charismatic within 15 chapters either side of Acts 2 and there's not a Campbellite within 25 chapters either side of Acts 2. So what about the matter of the last days? I was, all this week I've been reading Ezekiel 38 and 39 in preparation to preach on that today and to try to develop and see where are we, as much as we can discern where are we in the light of this. And I kept reading in, in Ezekiel 38 in the latter times, in the latter times, and in the latter times, and it occurred to me maybe I should just preach on that, which will explain in more detail Ezekiel chapter 38 and Ezekiel chapter 39. Let me say this while I'm here. It's my understanding in, in the scriptures there are two battles of Gog and Magog in the light of the context. One will happen at the end of the millennium. The other, in my opinion, Ezekiel 38, is going to happen in the middle of the tribulation period. And I think that the battle we read about in Ezekiel 38 parallels the rider on the red horse and the great tribulation in Matthew 24 that the Lord spoke about when you see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand then shall be great tribulation. Pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Woe to them that are with child and them that get suck in those days, for then shall be great tribulation. I think the battle of Ezekiel 38 aligns with the rider on the red horse, middle of the tribulation period, the abomination of desolation, middle of the tribulation period, the fleeing of the Jew from Jerusalem down to Petra, middle of the tribulation period. What about this matter of the last days. Now, you would think that this phrase, last days, would be found in the King James Bible a dozen times or more. When I first began looking at this about 15 years ago, 
I was a little bit surprised that I only found the phrase eight times. We find it here in Acts 2. Look with me, please, in verse number 15. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that, what you are witnessing here, the sound of the mighty rushing wind, the Jews that have come from all over the world, Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, everybody here are Jews, by the way, except for the proselytes. Those are Gentile proselyte Judaism. Everybody here is a beard-keeping, pork-abstaining, Sabbath-observing, law-keeping, Torah-reading Jew. These are not drunk with wine. This is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel, spoken by the prophet Joel, verse 16. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above. Have you ever read the book of the Revelation? Wonders in heaven above and signs in earth beneath. Have you read the book of the Revelation? You read about those signs. Blood and fire, where do I read that? In the book of the Revelation. And vapor of smoke, I read that in the Revelation, in the tribulation period. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. I read that in Matthew 25 at the second advent when Christ returns in power and in great glory and comes back to the earth. Watch it again. The moon and the moon and the blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Matthew 24, 13. He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. That's not regenerated. That's the salvation of the body in the tribulation period to make it through the judgment of the nations and to go into the millennial kingdom. Now in Acts 2, the audience, the people to whom Peter is preaching is stated three times. Look with me in verse number 14. But Peter standing up with the 11 lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men of Judea. Look over with me in verse 22. Ye men of Israel. Hear these words. Look down in verse number 36 at the end of Peter's sermon. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. At the beginning of his sermon, he addresses the nation of Israel. In the middle of his sermon, he addresses the nation of Israel. At the end of his sermon, he addresses the nation of Israel. Now, apparently, in the context, Peter is preaching not to Gentiles, not to the church. He is preaching to Jews, Israel. And he is preaching about the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the rapture of the church. That had not been revealed yet. Paul had not yet written 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. He's not preaching about the catching up of the saints. He is preaching about the return of the Messiah back to planet earth. He preaches the same thing in Acts chapter number three. Whom the heaven shall receive. Well, turn over there and let me read that to you. Look and turn one, one leaf in your Bible. 
In verse number 19, look at it, 319, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. That's Jeremiah 31, 31. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, that's the millennial kingdom, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren. So Peter preaches the second advent in Acts 2. He preaches the second advent in Acts 3. And I do believe with every fiber of who I am that Jesus Christ is coming back to planet earth. The Messiah is going to return. And the United Nations that you talk about... uh, you talk about ne'er-do-wells. Boy, that's it. And they're talking about NATO. NATO's not going to do anything. NATO doesn't have the ability to do anything without the United States of America. The UN's not going to do a thing about the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will return in power and in great glory. Now, that's the general context of Acts 2. Let's look at these eight times, and I'll move rapidly, that I find the last days mentioned in the Bible. Turn back to Genesis 49. Genesis 49. If you have a Schofield, page 68. Page 68. If you have an old Schofield reference Bible. Now, you and I, as students of the Bible, believe in a number of Bible principles of interpretation. On occasion, I run into fellows and, and uh, they throw all of this to the wind. Well, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't have a brick mason or a black mason put in a foundation of my house or building that didn't follow the principles of masonry. And I wouldn't hire a contractor to frame the walls that didn't follow the principles of masonry, that didn't know how to read a tape measure and how to use a square. I wouldn't use them. I had major surgery in October, and I appreciate your prayers. And, and I was a very sick man in another generation I would have died in October. I was that sick. I've been sick a long time. Didn't know it. But I wouldn't have let my surgeon go inside of me and he cut me open, put 30 staples in me, cut me open, took my intestines out and laid them on the table. And I wouldn't have let him, I wouldn't have let him take me in the operating room if he hadn't followed the principles of surgery and the principles of blood flow and the anesthesiologist followed the principles of how to put me to sleep so he wouldn't kill me and he could wake me back up at the end of my surgery. Well, now, when I read the Bible, I give the Bible the same respect and deference that I would give to a surgeon cutting me open. Now, you and I follow the principle of first mention, the law of first mention. I've discovered that men like these principles of biblical interpretation until they don't like them. They like them until it bumps into a long-held belief or an idea. Well, I always thought it was this way. Look, I have, I have, from reading the Bible, I've read the Bible from one cover to the other more than 50 times, and it has changed my view on a number of things that I thought I knew 40 years ago when I started preaching. I don't, I don't preach exactly the same thing I did when I got started. 
And if a man preaches 50 years and he says, I preach them same old outlines I preached 50 years ago, what have you done with your time? Study to show thyself approved unto God. And I have eaten so much crow in my ministry in the last 30 years that I've developed an appetite for crow. Well, Brother Ben, I, I heard you preach that 30 years ago that way and I say, well, I can't, I, I just, I can't see that like that because of this or because of that or because of the other, you see. Now, I am willing because I believe the King James Bible is entirely accurate. I am willing to judge my theology by the Scriptures, not judge the Scriptures by my Theology. Now, if you don't do that, you'll not be able to preach the whole counsel of God. And and I have the greatest of respect for my forebears. I have the greatest of of esteem. Oliver Green is a personal hero. Jack Green was my personal friend. I have the highest of respect for those men. Lee Robertson was my friend. But those men were men, just like my beloved grandfather. And I knew my grandfather. I mean, I slept in the same bed with him. I know what he smelled like. He's the best man I've ever, I've ever known. But he was a man. One night he'd finished preaching. We were walking back to his office. He said, well, how did, how'd you like how I handled that tonight? And I said, well, Papa, I, I think it was good. But I, I think the general assembly there is the nation of Israel and the church of the firstborn is the body of Christ. And he had just preached 20 minutes ago that the General Assembly was the universal church and the general and the church of the firstborn was the local assembly. And I said, I can't make that, Papa, out of the context. I think it's a good sermon, but the General Assembly there is Israel. He said, well, go back and read it again. See what you think. And I said, I already have, Papa. Now, don't you criticize my granddad in my presence. But he's just like I am, he's flesh. And all flesh is wrong at some point. That's why I can't judge the scriptures. Well, this is the way it's got to be. I've always thought it was this way. No, I'll let the scripture stand in judgment of my thinking. And there are passages in the Bible I don't know, I don't understand. There are passages I am not prepared to expound on, but there's nothing in the Bible I don't believe. But there's some things in here I can't explain. All right, notice the law of first mention. By the way, there are two first mentions in this chapter. Look at 49.1. And Jacob called unto, unto, uh, uh, called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last Days. That's the first time that's found in the Bible. Gather yourselves together. Hear ye sons of Jacob. Now Joshua, the first time we find Joshua, law first mention, where is he? He's down in the valley. Moses is on the, on the mountaintop. Aaron's under one arm, hers under the other. Who is fighting? Who's a new man we find? Joshua. Joshua, a man of war, first time we find him, he's got his sword drawn, he's on the battlefield, he's in conflict. Do you realize that Joshua pulled his sword on the angel of the Lord one night? I mean, he was a master with that. The angel of the Lord came in the camp. 
Who are you for? The Lord said, put your sword up, son. I'm in charge of all this. I'm the angel. I'm, I'm over all this. Man, you're fighting for me, not with me. He's a fighter, law first mentioned. First time we find Joshua got his sword drawn. He's the only man in the Bible that I'm aware of that ever drew his sword on the Lord. So we find in the law first mentioned, the first time last days is used, it is in relation to the sons of Jacob. Then these 12 sons are identified. Reuben, verse 5, Simeon and Levi, Judah. By the way, this is the first time in the Bible that we find lion used in relation to the tribe of Judah. Look at verse number 8. Thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. When we get to the Revelation, the other end of the Bible, Guess what we read? John wept because no man was found worthy to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof. And one of the elders, now I don't know who those 24 elders are. I can speculate just like you, but I don't, but they're there. And I, when we get to heaven, we're going to meet them. One of those elders said, Weep not, John. There's something you missed here, son. John wipes tears out of his eyes and he said, Look right over yonder. The lion! That is the first mention of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. How about the lion and the lamb? Look at it with me, please. A lion's whelp my, uh, from the prey, my son, thou art gone. He stooped uh, down. He couched as a lion and as an old lion who shall rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and Shiloh will be the millennial kingdom. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. What a prophecy, what a prophecy. Look at 13 Zebulun, 14 Issachar, 16 Dan. The last time Dan is mentioned in the Bible, by the way, is Amos 8, 14. He drops out of the scripture. The scripture is supplanted by Manasseh, Joseph's son. Gad, verse number 19. Asher, verse 20. Naphtali, verse 21. Joseph. Verse 22, and then down in verse number 27, Benjamin. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, in the law first mentioned, the first time we find last days mentioned in the Bible, Genesis 49, it is entirely dealing with the 12 tribes of Israel. Second time it's mentioned, look in Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter number 2. Page 714, if you have a Schofield Bible. 714. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. What's our context? Judah and Jerusalem. What's the context from the law first mentioned? Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. Isaiah, in his prophecy, uses mountains in relation to kingdoms. So here we have the nation of Israel, Judah and Jerusalem. We have the last days, and we have the mountain 
of the Lord's house shall be established in the tops of the mountains. So again, we have now not only Israel, but now we have some added light. Progressive revelation, added light. And the added light is we find the last days used in conjunction with the millennial kingdom or the coming kingdom age. The third time we find last days is in Micah. Micah chapter 4, page 948. If you have a Schofield, 948. Micah chapter number 4. Micah chapter number 4. Look at verse number 1. But in the last days, but in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and, the, and people shall flow unto it. In Micah 1 we have a parallel passage with Isaiah 2. The two chapters read almost identically. And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. Brother, if that's not the millennial kingdom, I've never read it in the Bible. Let's go up to the house of the Lord. He will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people. He'll judge and rule with the rod of iron and rebuke strong nations afar off. I read that in the book of Matthew. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. Isaiah also says that. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war any more. Look at the peace of the millennial kingdom. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree and none shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts shall I have spoken it. For all people will walk every one in the name of his God and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. The last days, the last days. The fourth time we find last days is in my text in Acts 2, which is a quote from Joel chapter 2. Look there for just a moment. Let me read to you for a moment out of the book of Joel. Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Page 932. Page 932. My granddad was a big promoter of the Schofield Bible, and we always had a big delegation on Sunday night come over from Bob Jones and Bob Jones didn't push the Schofield Bible. And uh, my grandfather, uh, he had a facetious part of him. He had a real dry sense of humor. And on Sunday night, he'd go to the pulpit and say, open your Bibles with me tonight, please, to page 932. Page 932. And of course, 90% of our people carried Schofield and everybody was turned to the text. And he'd laugh at those students from Bob Jones. And... Uh, they didn't have, they'd be looking around trying, and, and he would laugh at them sometimes. Then he would give them the reference, and he'd say, at Tabernacle, we carry Schofield Bibles. I would advise you students to get a Schofield Bible. We have them in our bookstore. <laughs> 
All right, look with me, please. The prophecy uh, of Joel 2. Let me give you the highlights. Look back at chapter number, uh, verse number 1. 2, 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. By the way, this is Peter's text for the Pentecost sermon. This is his text. So he's preaching, ye men of Israel, hear these words. And here's what he's preaching about. For the day of the Lord cometh. You see that in verse number 1? Look at verse 4. The appearance of them is the appearance of horses, and as horsemen so shall they run. That is Revelation chapter number 9. Down in verse number 11. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord, that's the second advent, is great and very terrible. Who can abide it? Look down with me please at verse number 18. Look at the salvation of Israel. Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. And then beginning at verse 28, this is where Peter picks up. And he shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. What is the context? The context is the tribulation and the second advent. Not some glossia. Signs and wonders and healings and handkerchiefs and holy water and uh, uh. the context is the tribulation and the second advent and the millennial kingdom. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out uh, my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters, those are the sons and daughters of Israel, shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit and I will show wonders in, in the heavens and in the earth blood and fire and pillars of smoke. That's the plagues of the tribulation. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before, that, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come and it shall come to pass. Now notice the alteration of the wording in the King James text. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. In Acts 2, it shall be saved. In Matthew 24, 13, he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Delivered from what? Delivered from what? Delivered from the agony of the tribulation period. Two-thirds of the human family is going to die in three and a half years. In Luke, where the Lord was talking about the Tribulation, and he said, blessed is he that is counted worthy to escape all these things. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. And they'll be delivered at the second advent. Of course, we find Acts 2 is come to pass in the last days, Peter preaching, what text is Peter preaching about? He's preaching about the tribulation and the second advent. Now, if what I'm saying is so, and everything I've read to you is right out of a King James Bible, in the light of its context, the whole Pentecostal movement collapses. It, all, it just folds up on itself. The Campbellite movement folds up. It collapses. It is as fragile as a house of cards. So when the men said, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized. That's what John the Baptist preached That's to Israel. That's what the Lord preached to Israel. That's what the 12 preached to Israel. That's what the 70 preached to 
Israel. The sins there are national sins. Israel is a national body. They have a national homeland, have a national capital. They have national covenants called the Palestinian covenant. Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30. If you'll do this, I'll do that in the land. If you refuse to do this, I'll drive you out of the land. If you'll obey me, I'll put you in the land and it'll rain. If you don't obey me, I'll drive you out of the land. I'll make the heavens as brass. The sins here in Acts 2, 38, nobody's being regenerated here. No one is being born again here. These are national sins of a national body being addressed on a national level so the Messiah can return and sit on the throne of his father David and rule the nation of Israel for a thousand years. Now, if the context I'm understanding is so, then this changes my interpretation on four New Testament scriptures. Let me give these to you and I'll be done. If the last days, as we have seen, starting with the first mention, has to deal with Israel, the tribulation period, and the second advent, then what am I to do with 2 Timothy 3.1? Turn there in your Bible with me, please. 2 Timothy 3. One, what am I to do with this? This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now my question is this. Are we in the last days or are we at the end of the church age on the threshold of the last day's beginning? Now my mother taught English grammar for 30 years. I taught English grammar in high school. It is an affront to the common usage of the word last days to say the last days have lasted for 2,000 years. That destroys the meaning of it. Whenever the doctor calls and says, Mama is in the last days, the family gets off work. They leave home. They go down there because mother's death is imminent. When, my, when Judy's mother died several years ago, I was in Florida in a meeting. Judy called me and said, Mama is in her last days. I told the pastor, I said, I'll need to leave to go home and I'll make the date up to you. And I left a day early and drove home and, and got to the nursing home in Hendersonville about three hours before she died. She was in her last days. So much so that I drove 700 miles to be in the room when she passed away. But if the doctor had called my wife five years before my mother, mother-in-law died and said, your mother is in her last days and she lives five years and she can get up from the table and eat and drink and move about and live a normal life. And then to try to explain this, they say, well, we're in the last days of the last days of the last times of the last hours. But actually that's saying nothing. That doesn't mean anything. That's just word salad. It's like uh, that sake, red-headed sake girl. You ever heard her give a press conference? I can't watch her. 
Well, it might be because perhaps now we have to look into the root causes and see if we can determine that there might be some former hypothesis that caused this to happen in a bygone uh, generation. And we're not interested in that, please. Next question. But, now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If the last days is occupied with Israel and the tribulation. Now I believe with every fiber of who I am that we are at the end, E-N-D of the church age. If the rapture took place before I finished preaching, I would not be surprised. That's the best thing that can happen to any of us. And if the rapture of the church, he who now let us will let, being taken out of the way, in my understanding, then the last days begin, which is a seven-year period leading to the second advent. Now, what's going to happen during the tribulation period? All right, look at verse number three now, or verse number one of chapter three. This know also then the last days, perilous times, perilous times shall come. Now, every dispensation winds down and every dispensation winds up. I think we are seeing the onset of strong delusion. Saying that's Lawrence too. Now, strong delusion will be here after the church is gone, but I think we see the onset of it now. Every time Saki opens her mouth, I see strong delusion. Winding down, that's why I think we're at the end of the church age. For men shall be lovers of their own selves so much so that they will wreck an economy like George Soros to enrich themselves. Covetous like Ahab was and like the government is now. Why in the world does Klaus Schaub want a one world government? So that he and his friends can take what we have. Boasters. That seems to be rising. Proud blasphemers. I don't use profanity and I don't hang around people that do, but I have heard profane speak and blasphemy. There's this one guy that's on the radio that calls, uses a medieval name and then calls himself the God. You spell that with a little g because he's going to meet God at the white throne, spell that with a capital G, and he'll discover that he's not the God. I can't imagine somebody using that for a title. Blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Boy, we have a lot of that, don't we? Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. The transgender movement and all that goes along with that. Truce breakers. That's why a contract's 10 pages long now, not a handshake. False accusers, incontinent, having no self-control. Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, Heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness. You think religion will come to an end when the church is gone? The world will be more religious a week after the church is raptured out than they are today. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Now I think we see the onset of this now. But I think that the fulfillment of this in the light of the last days is in the Tribulation period. Look with me please in Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1. Verse 1. God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time passed unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days 
spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. When is that going to happen? In the kingdom age, by whom also he made the world. Who to whom is the Hebrew epistle addressed? Hebrews. And he will reign from the throne of his father David. Look at James 5, 3, and then I'll wind up in 2 Peter. Look at James 5 and verse number 3. James, again, this is a general epistle, a Jewish epistle, if you please. Go to now, you rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that are come upon you. Your riches are corrupted. That sounds like Revelation 17, doesn't it? The fall of commercial Babylon. And your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered. You know, they talked, you know, you need to buy gold, buy gold, buy gold, buy gold. We are, the reason we're in the trouble we're in is because the government has continued to, I mean, they printed up $5 trillion last year. It's not backed by anything. So we're paying $110 for, for oil when we were a net exporter of oil two years ago and now we're buying oil from Russia. The dollar's doomed. I'm telling you, the dollar is doomed. And if it crashes, your gold is not going to do you any good. You say, well, I'll take gold and go down and buy it, buy it at the grocery store. There won't be anything on the shelves at the grocery store to buy. And your gold is only good. The means of exchange is only good if people are willing to accept it. What if Vladimir Putin says, no more dollars for our oil. I will only accept dollars in rubles. You think, you think we've got inflation now? The dollar goes like that. If people, the only reason our dollar is any good is because they'll take my 20 down at Bilo. The Pisgah Fish House will take my $20 bill in exchange for a meal. Episcopal said, we're not taking any more dollars. Well, you can't buy a meal down there with dollars. It becomes worthless as a means of exchange. During the tribulation period, the gold and silver stockpiles won't be any good when men are starving to death. The rest of them shall be witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last Days. Then look with me, please, in 2 Peter. This is tremendous. 2 Peter 3 and verse number 3. It's the last time in the Bible I read the phrase last days. This second epistle, this is page 1319. If you have a school field, 1319. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you both that Peter's ministry was always to Israel. 2 Peter, 2 Peter 3. His ministry was always to the house of Israel. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. So Peter reaches back here, just like he did in Acts 2 and Acts 3. He reaches back to the Old Testament prophets. And of the commandment of us, the apostles, a direct link between the apostles and the Old Testament prophets of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. Now watch the way this is written. Saying, where is the promise of his coming? In the rapture we meet the Lord. 
in the revelation, he comes back. This is the revelation. I don't think this is the rapture. This is the revelation. Watch it now. The last days, tribulation, second advent. Come in the last days, in the mountain of the Lord it shall be seen. Gather around me, I'll show you what shall be in the last days, ye sons of Jacob. Where's the promise of his coming? These are tribulation Jews. They have suffered the agony of the tribulation period. And they have thrown up their hands. The Jews require a sign. They have thrown up their hands and they said, it's useless what Isaiah and Jeremiah, what they said is not so. Where is the promise of his coming? The Bible said the Lord would return and save us from our enemies and he hasn't come. For since the fathers fell asleep, the church doesn't have fathers. I know we have men called the church fathers, Chrysostom, and, and the fathers are Father Abraham, Father Isaac, Father Jacob. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. We were carried away to Egypt. We were carried away to Babylon. We were carried away to Syria. We were dispersed in AD 70. Hitler killed uh, six million of us. Hitler killed a million Ukrainian Jews during World War II. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. Everything is the same. Those Jews will cry out in the tribulation period, and they'll say those promises, they require a sign. Those promises that we read in Isaiah and in Joel, where are they? All things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of. Yes, Jews that don't read the Bible can be just as ignorant as Gentiles that don't read the Bible. That by the word of God, in Jeremiah 31, the Lord says, if you can stop the sun from shining, stop the moon from coming up, stop the rain from falling, then I will break my covenant with Israel. But until you can keep the sun from coming up, I will not break my covenant with Israel. All right? Peter is saying the same thing to the Jews in tribulation that will be reading this scripture. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. That's the antediluvian age before the fountains of the deep were broken up. You ever notice you can take the atlas, the atlas looks like a jigsaw puzzle, you just squeeze the continents back together. The earth standing in the water, big water mass over there and out of the water, huge land mass over here, all that was broken up during Noah's flood. Whereby the world that then was, that was the antediluvian age, being overflowed with water, that's Noah's flood, perished, that world is gone. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word that God created in Genesis 1.1 are kept in store. When Noah came off the ark, God said, all right, Noah, there's your sign, the rainbow. From here on, there'll be four seasons. Seed time, harvest, hot and cold. That's spring, summer, fall, and winter. I can remember when I was a little boy hearing the old timers and they said, all oh, this... When you get down air the end of the age, you won't be able to tell air season from air other. I'm not being disrespectful to my forebears, but when I read the book of Genesis, what they said was not true. 
And what Al Gore says about the environment is not. By the way, if, if all of these environmentalists talking about Manhattan being flooded and the coastline Miami and Florida being flooded, if that's true, why in the world are they buying all these million-dollar properties on the coastline? Hypocrites. All right, read on now. The, earth, the heavens and the earth which are now, this is post-Noahic flood, by the same word we kept in store, reserved unto fire. God is going to burn this earth up with fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. I don't know that I can explain that the way I, I think it ought to be explained. The Lord is not slack. Remember these Jews? We're all dying. The tribulation is no different than the Holocaust. Nothing has changed. We went to Egypt. Nothing has changed. Peter says, oh, yes, it has. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise and the promise he made to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, the promise he made to the house of Israel. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And they will not perish in tribulation, and they will repent when they see the Lord, Zechariah 13, and they see the wounds in his hands, and they'll say, where did those come from? And he will say, I was wounded in the house of my friends, and the scales will fall from their eyes. And Isaiah said, a nation shall be born at once. And Israel will repent. That's the last days in the Bible. I, I do believe, and I believe this now for the last about 20 years, that we are on the threshold of the beginning of the last days. We are at the end of the church age. And our prayer is not trying to figure out if we're in the last hours of the last moments of the last seconds of the last days. We should be concentrating on the fact that the church age is closing and our opportunity for world evangelism is closing. And as soon as we're gone, the last days will begin and truly they will be last days. Seven years shortened leading down to the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, what a day that's going to be. These world potentates and dictators and powerful people. What's Vladimir Putin going to do when he stands at the judgment of the nations and has to look upon the Lord Jesus Christ? His mouth will be stopped. He won't say anything. And all the world will become guilty before God. That's right. And I'm looking forward to that. But between here and there, the trumpet's going to sound and we're checking out. Now shake hands with dad again. Shake hands with mother again. And for about seven years, we'll rejoice in heaven, getting caught up. And then we'll return to the Lord Jesus Christ in power and in great glory. And we'll have a ringside seat for the Battle of Armageddon. I'll be right there. And when he sits, see, we can't be separated forever. Paul said, forever we shall be with the Lord. The kingdom is not for us. The kingdom's for Israel. But everywhere he goes, I got to go. That's right. We'll be consorts with him. And I will watch the Lord disseminate perfect righteousness and judge righteous judgment. Great day, how wonderful that'll be. I believe the book, fellas. I mean, I believe this book.
And what I don't understand, I still believe. Stay with the book now. Keep it in its context. And believe what it says, even if you can't explain it. Believe what it says. I don't want anybody rewording the Constitution. And I don't want anybody rewording this. Now, I don't need you explaining to me what I can read for myself in the Second Amendment and the First Amendment. I don't need any explaining on that. And I can read this for myself. I don't need any, some doctor to come and explainify that, well, it doesn't mean, Brother Carper, what you're reading. It should mean it has a deeper, darker meaning. No, don't rob from me what I just read. Don't rob from me. I'm basing the eternal destiny of my soul on what I read in John 3.16 and Ephesians 2.8 and 9. So stay with the book now. Stay. I've preached, my goodness, I've preached for an hour. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. Let's stand together, please. Our Father, we thank thee that thou hast not left us without a witness. We have the witness of the written revelation. And we have the indwelling witness of the Holy Spirit. Now I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us now to champion the book. And may we not get caught up in all of the hoopla and excitement and ignorance of mass media and mass-produced facts and ideas. May we not get caught up in all the minutiae of that. But may we stay right with the book. This is what I read. This is the way God said it's going to work out. This is what we read. And may we have calm assurance that God is going to do everything right according to His plan and according to His will. And give us the faith to not only believe that, but to stand for it. Strengthen us, I pray, and help us to be faithful to Thee. There are multitudes listening, and there may be many that are not ready for the coming of the Lord because they're not saved. Now I pray, Father, You deal with them and Reveal to them that outside of Jesus Christ there is no salvation. Neither is there salvation in none other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now I pray, Father, that men and women will come to Jesus and be born again. While our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, we're going to have an invitation. Go ahead, ladies. If you need to come, we invite you to come. You can call. Those of you that are watching online, you see the telephone number, call. If you need to talk to somebody, there are preachers, abundance of preachers that can talk to you about your soul condition. And I plead with you, I plead with you, if you're unsaved, I beg you, please come to Jesus Christ and be saved.